and welcome to another episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With winter's arrival and dark evenings in good supply, this is the perfect time to gain your favourite gardening podcast fix. To help you through the spring, Saul and myself will keep you entertained and informed with podcasts on wide-ranging topics such as winter pruning, propagation and planting. Plus, we'll provide regular updates on important industry developments, along with lively discussions on all manner of horticultural topics. We'll aim to bring you two short 20-minute episodes a week, along with a longer bonus interview with a key green-fingered peer every month. As ever, if you have suggestions for episodes that you'd like to hear, please just tap us up on our respective Twitter accounts at Gardening Saul and at Head Gardener LC. We'd be delighted if you'd join us on this journey as we step inside the busy and exciting world of the modern Head Gardener. Good evening, Lucy. How are you? Hello, Saul. I am all right. I am all right. My internet connection's a bit unstable, so we've, we've toot and froed a bit to get to this point. But uh, I myself am very good. Thank you very much. That's OK. I'll do most of the talking and you can just look static on the screen <laughs> that's fine by me i've done christmas shopping today i'm a little bit i'm a bit comatose so that would be super <laughs> <laughs> well look before we start because we're going to go onwards from what we were talking about in the last podcast about composting at small scales we're going to talk about how we compost at our big gardens and, and yes and big composting anyway but the first thing we want to mention is that we've just reached another milestone on the podcast i know i'm amazed Fifty thousand listens yeah. or downloads 50,000 50,000 is such a mind-blowing number for you and I a little humble you and I when we thought about this podcast in its initial stages you were, wow <laughs> just it's wow it's a big number isn't it it's a big number yeah I, I can't it's I can't astounding. go over it because I was like and I say this every time we reach a milestone I say <laughs> when we reached a thousand I was over the moon and that's all I was really aiming for yeah. so <laughs> To have 50 times that. And so thank you to everyone who's exactly. been listening that's, that's to us and, and, con- and continues to listen to us as well, because I'm sure there are people who have listened to all 75 episodes now. and Including, you know, including my cousin in Seattle, who I didn't realise listened to me. So thank you very much for that. Well, we're, we are international. We there do we go. get international uh, comments, don't we, which yep. is uh, always nice. But, you know, people have been listening all the way through. Well done. <laughs> that's all I can say. <laughs> Yeah, we'll send a T-shirt in the post. You do, you do deserve a medal. Um, and yeah, th- I, I, just to echo Saul's sentiments, thank you so much. You know, we we didn't know how this was going to pan out. And uh, to, to hit, hit a number anywhere near that is just great. So we hope we're keeping you amused, entertained, informed, whatever we do. <laughs> whatever it is that we do, <laughs> we'll keep on doing it and hope that you like it. Well, we'll stick to gardening, I think, yeah. <laughs> Lucy. I've yeah. listened to some other podcasts and I don't think I quite have the technical expertise to talk about V8 engines and all that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other thing I should say is we had our first frost down here oh, in, uh, did you in the last? West Country. Yeah, last night. Yeah. yeah. What, so what did the temperature say on your, your uh, weather station? It got down to naught, so right. it was it was a light. I'd say it's a light frost because I still got gingers and bananas sitting outside unprotected, and they're they're fine. But mm. the the car was definitely a bit frosty this morning. Ah, well, we had a, we had a massive air frost, which uh, and it made it was like a hall frost that all the trees right up into as high up as I could see, thirty foot into the sky, were covered in the beautiful frost this morning. It was all misty, and as I've been shopping in Colchester today with my family, and it didn't get above. Two degrees. It's been very cold right. in this neck of the woods because the the fog, I guess, kept the cool temperatures just locked in. And um, 
Yeah, it's a bit fresh. That's in, yeah, that's interesting. You know, a hoarfrost in, down where I am is like a leprechaun or a unicorn. They don't mm. exist. No. Never no. see them. They're beautiful yeah. things. They're beautiful things. I was pointing it all out to the people in the car. It does look rather lovely. Lovely. Anyway, let's switch on to composting. Yes. Hey. <laughs> yes. I, I hope people enjoy. Oh, I, I was going to say, I hope people enjoyed the last um, episode. We got some uh, nice comments, a few few uh, things on our social Sorry, media. Sorry, I haven't had time we? to jump in and reply to anyone, but I know that you have done that. So thank you, Saul, for stepping in. Yeah, people people have been quite interested in uh, all, all the things we had to say about composting. Mm. But now we're going to talk about what we do at, uh, at our estates, at our gardens that we uh, work at. And it's. Um, there's not much difference. It's just scale, I guess, is yeah. it? And the way you manage the heap a bit more. Um, because generally, there is actually quite a lot of hard work to get really good compost. There is. I have to say that at East Donnellan Hall, we are still in the developmental stages of getting our compost heap system up to what I would like it to be. It's not there yet at all. What we inherited was just a massive big pile of compost including all kind of disease materials and weed seeds and rhizomes stuff that we just didn't really want and it hadn't been sorted and filtered and it wasn't a hygienic kind of compost um and it wasn't in a in a any kind of um vessel that you could turn it wasn't straightforward in that sense so we have over the past uh, about a year ago now we cleared the area completely we hired a digger and a dumper truck and actually uh, emptied the whole area put it into the the dell which is the, the just by the woodland and started afresh but then we haven't actually put in any boards or um I'd love to get some something some big chunky timbers you know sleeper sized dimensions and get three bays going and get a shredder and turn it and that would be my ideal but we we haven't got there yet and i'm so i'm i'm in that sense i'm a frustrated composter because i i do love this as a topic i learned all about composting in my when i did my honors degree we had um tutor called dr joe lopez real and he was phenomenal teaching me all about composting and so my understanding of it is sound and and yet on a large scale i haven't yet been able to to do what I want but I know that you at Stonelands are a very lucky bunny because you've managed to invest in all sorts of kit to make fantastic compost I would love to be there with you doing that so I'm I say I'm I'm, I'm a bit green-eyed jealous monster Mr Walker yeah I think uh the two areas of the garden that I have most interest in or are most invested in are the meadow and the compost heaps. Mm. Not to say that I'm not invested in the rest of the garden because there's a lot to do, but I really am quite a keen composter. I'm a quite a keen of making sure that we use as much of our waste as possible because gardens like yours and mine and any of the big gardens, uh, the RHS gardens or all the National Trust gardens, we produced a lot of yeah. green waste. Oh, if you think ones. about... Yeah, if you think about what a normal residential garden produces, and that's just a small bag or a bin that goes out occasionally, we probably produce when we're really going for clearing a border or we're working at clearing um, uh, a load of fallen leaves or uh, or branches. We probably should produce that much waste in, in a day that someone might produce at their home in a couple of months. Yeah. So I was really keen to make sure that that didn't get wasted because 
Sometimes it can either get buried or it can get burnt. Uh, there's a lot of guilty. I know there's a lot of guilty uh, gardens and and farms out there that are very um, keen on fires. Let's say that and, and mm. burn a lot of their waste when they can actually use it. And and yes, like you say, that's where my all singing or dancing system comes in. In essence, it's just three very large bays which I've made out of um steel and um sleepers railway mm. sleepers to make three bays and then one bay is an active bay i.e that is where all the material is going into the second bay is the rest bay where it will sit for a year once it's been turned and then the last bay is the bay in which we have the compost ready mm. and between the three bays there's there's a few processes the first bay is obviously collecting the material. And that's where what we were describing in the last podcast sort of resembles the smaller scale in that, again, we have to make sure that we're using a good balance of the green to the brown compost. And that can be quite hard uh, at a big garden because sometimes you happen to have a lot of one and not a lot of the other. So what we do at Stonelands is that we make sure that we have a lot of uh, woody branches, material. We use bamboo sometimes, um, but we collect a lot of the woody material together, have a big pile, and that will go through our shredder as and when we need it to add to all the green waste. And the most green waste I get is uh, lawn uh, trimmings, the grass clippings, of which we get loads and loads. uh, And that requires a lot of the brown material. And basically, um, anything that we can goes through the shredder if it can, or it's uh, it's already small enough to go straight onto the heap. Can I just ask quickly because I'm very interested with the shredder? Mm. Um, yes, is it a petrol fueled shredder? So you don't need to worry about is because your compost area is really detached from the rest of the garden, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's mm. a big petrol shredder. And the one bit of advice I actually give to anyone who asks me about it is to get a as big a shredder mm. as you can afford because um, the more material you can shred up the better and smaller shredders though great for smaller material at our size garden you really need a, a shredder that can take woody material that's an inch to two inches in diameter is that what you can put in yours because like, i know yeah. you can get some i've got a tree surgeon friend that you can feed anything into his shredder and it just mm. gobbles it up it's amazing so we're talking about you know four inches diameter stems and that, and so so you can take you would be able to take a two inch diameter yeah. piece of timber um yeah. and so what dimensions does that then come out of the shredder at yeah so the shredder has uh, multiple grills that you can put on that will adjust the size of the the chip that comes out and also depending on the material going in we find that the drier material chips up a lot easier than wetter material so uh, generally we get it down to what i would describe as a a chip that's about the size of something you would might find at a playground or you might get the, the the woody sort of chips that some people use as mulch for their borders yeah. um it doesn't have to be much smaller to be honest because because my compost is sitting there for almost two years it does obviously um break down and it's not you know as big as that when you get to the final the final product but um it's really it is really worth and just from a point of view of the amount of material that we get through going back to what i said you want a shredder that can get through that quickly because there is nothing worse than sitting there for hours on hours looking at a pile that's not decreasing because you're having to put one little stem through at a time so you definitely want a machine that can take multiple stems and really you know crunch it up quickly just to get through the material we should explain as well why you shred 
your compost material because mm, there is a science true. there's an absolute science behind it it's to increase the surface area of the materials and the more surface area you have the more fungi and bacteria and micro and macroorganisms can attack it and decompose it and the more rapidly they can do so so shredding if you if you are on an estate and you or you have access to to that kind of kit in your own back garden say a small a smaller shredder do it because it will give you a much much better product the, the lumpy woody materials will um, will will almost disappear by the time you mm. get to the end compost. Whereas if you if you, you try and use shears or secateurs or whatever you know in a, in a smaller setting, oh, it's 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 tough. It's it doesn't make composting it's a lot of fun. Work. So no. so I know as I say we're talking about large scale composting, but just to kind of link back to if you do want to do this in your home garden, again try to get a, a, a small smaller shredder will will do a better job just to increase that surface area. Mm. So in about a year, we probably collect what I would say about three metres cubed worth of materials. Mm. So you're probably looking at a a weight of about three tonnes worth of material before the composting process has taken place. And that's it's quite a lot of material to get through uh, in a year. So, yes, like I say, well worth investing in kit that can break that down. So that'll sit there for a year. And generally, my uh, year is almost chronological. It generally goes from about February to the February after. And then on a nice dry day, I will hire in a mini digger. Um, Unfortunately, my tractor does not have a front loader. That's probably the only piece of kit that I've always wanted to Mm -hmm. have. And I just haven't got at Stonelands. So we hire in a mini digger. The first year, actually, me and Nigel, my colleague, tried to do it by hand. And I decided, though, that although it took us two days and it was a really good workout, we were never, (laughs) ever, ever going to try that again. (laughs) So uh, I now get a mini digger in. And it basically is just one big turn into the next bay. So and you do that every com- February. So an annual every turn. February. Yeah, right. it's a, oh, so okay. it only gets one turn. Right. Um, so not uh, so I don't turn it too much, uh, and then it will sit there for another year, and it does sort of resemble what we were describing in the cold composting cycle. It it, it has had a hot stage when it was in the first section, lots of the grass and th- and like you say, the microbes getting and breaking it down, and then you'll see a lot of steam coming off in the winter. But once it goes into that second bay, then it's going through its more slower yeah. um, cold composting cycle when the worms and the slugs and all that gets in and actually turns it into really nice black gold so you can really see the process from february onwards of it composting right down and it will shrink in volume from that three meters cubed to roughly about one and a half to two meters cubed worth of material get down to about two tons of material and do you have a temperature probe in there to know which what it gets to I don't. I just stick my hand in, <laughs> and I can tell you, in the middle, it is. Yeah. It's quite warm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. We have stuck a potato in there. It did take a few days, but eventually, <laughs> it was uh, it was soft enough to eat. But um, yeah, so it will stick in there for about two, uh, for the whole year, and then roughly about this time of year now, I wait for a nice dry day where it's uh, it's warmish, and we we get a, a mechanical sieve out. And just going back to the the shredding, uh, this is ideal uh, for the the sieving, because if we didn't break down the material, I tell you what, if we sieved it all through, we'd probably be throwing half the material back yeah. as woody as woody material. So we've got a mechanical sieve, basically it's a drum sieve. You throw in the material one end, it sieves out all the beautiful waste. Anything that's too large goes through the end, and you can just throw that back into the start of the process again. 
And then by the end, we get a really, really beautiful sieved compost, which rivals anything that you can get in a bag down the garden centre. Beautiful. And that, and that will go on to our veg gardens, our tree circles and on our shrub borders. The reason for that is it's not completely clean. I was going to say, do you get weeds? I was just going to ask that because that is all determined by the amount of heat you can get on your heap, mm, isn't it? So, Yeah, it isn't completely clean. And anyone who uses an open compost cycle, which has a cold compost part of it, it it's not guaranteed to get rid of every single weed seed. Um, as much as people say that it might, it, it doesn't really. You know, they're always sneaking around the sides. So we try not to put it on any of our herbaceous borders because we're just going to add to our weeding at the end of the day. I mean, this is going to go back to to what my um, lecturer taught me back in the day when I was doing my degree in biology. If you're looking at what companies now do for for green waste, for local authorities, um, Mm. it's all shredded and it's all put into what they call windrows, big um, triangular kind of rows of material. And it's repeatedly turned and churned and, and messed around with because the more you turn the material, the more of the... On the outside of the heap, it's cooler. And if you then allow that material to get incorporated into the centre, it will then get a lot hotter in the centre. So, so that's why I, in that sense, on a massive, massive scale, as you say, these, the local authorities have vast car parks devoted to generating this material. It's all done on, as I say, long, big triangular rows. And it is quite a full on process to get really very, very clean compost. I, I think so. And, and to be honest, um, it's probably what I can get away physically with as well, because mm. you, you've got to remember this stuff needs moving around. And, you know, I could probably um, produce a lot more compost if I really put my mind to it and turn it quite a lot. But that would just add to my workload, which I don't have time for. Yeah. I'll tell you where I saw the largest heaps, though, um, is at Kew. When I was um, a student at Kew, their compost heaps are absolutely massive. And like Mm. you said, in these triangular rows. And the other thing they did is they water it with sprinklers because just adding a bit of moisture also increases the temperature as well. But they were turning them quite regularly and uh, that's what adds the air in to get that aerobic uh, cycle going and increase the heat. With with, with what you're planning to do, Lucy, is it very similar to what I do at mine or are you going to try and do a bigger, bigger heap? Um, I've seen the corner of your wall garden and I know where that big heap was. So I just, I'm quite interested to see how you're going to plan it out. It's a nice area, isn't it? It's a decent sized plot. I think I I would like to do what you are doing. As you say, the three base system where you've got one that you add to, one that's cooking and one that's ready to use. That to me is logical. And, and I think, again, shredding would have been the fantastic thing to do. I've never been able to do that at East Tunnel. We just had to put materials on and... Um, I'm interested to, when you said about how many cubic meters you generate at Stonelands. I I know because we cleared our site last winter, hoping to put the bays in. Didn't get round to doing that task for various reasons on the estate. We've we've got probably a, a good eight cubic meters of waste sat there. So I know in a year we generate a lot of material, a real a large amount of material from all the herbaceous borders and prunings and grass, loads and loads of stuff. And that's not including the leaves because they get put in a separate area of the garden. Yeah. So. So there's the potential there to do something quite quite massive and 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 as we say you know a larger heap will generate better compost simply because of the temperature it it generates. So yeah, I I'm I'm very keen to push forward with it. I I don't know whether it will happen to be honest. And so I I loved coming to Stolens and seeing your setup 
because to me, I think what you've got there is absolutely perfect. And you as say you've, you've got the all the components there to make really good material. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a time thing as well, because you the thing with compost is you, it happens over many years. Mm. So you have to wait for the whole cycle to go through and then it, then it becomes a rolling thing. So when I started it, uh, when did I start? About five years ago, I had to wait for two years, two and a half years before I got a product out. Yeah. So it was a bit like... I, I I know how you can feel like, oh, what, should I start? I've got, you know, I've got to start now because it's two and a half years till I'm going to get anything. And then halfway through, you're actually starting a new heap before you've actually got anything else out the other end. So it's, it's, a, it's a weird setup where some of the smaller composts that we talked about in the last podcast, are, you know, done within a year, mm. you, you, you have something quite quickly. This is a much slower process, but... By the time you've got the cycle going, you're churning out two, three tons of compost a year, which is ideal for yeah. our kind of places. Am I am I right in remembering that you had yours on and was it an open ground base or was it concrete? It's a con- it's a concrete base. No, concrete base, and it's slightly sliding away hmm. because although uh, I was talking about adding moisture, which happens in the summer, actually in winter you can oversaturate the compost, and keeping it open hmm. is quite important to make it workable. So it's nice that it can drain away. So it's always important. So if you're using a, a you know open ground, hopefully the water can drain away. The the worst thing you can have is your compost heap sitting on waterlogged soil because it'll just get mushy and all horrible and anaerobic you'll start smelling it if you know it's not draining um so i think although our estates are big places and the the parallels between smaller residential gardens are are there i just think it's essential that everyone composts uh, and that you know we use our waste as much as possible because it's easily done that concludes today's episode We hope you enjoyed listening and look forward to you joining us again for the next instalment. Any review you'd like to leave via your podcast provider would be gratefully received. Winter is a natural time in the gardening calendar for reflection, adjustment and musing over new plans for warmer seasons ahead. So Lucy and I hope to inspire and educate with our thoughts. We'll also bring you interviews with some of the very best personalities our industry has to offer. We aim to dispel the myth that gardens, and therefore gardeners, slumber in winter. We promise that in this profession, nothing could be further from the truth. As two enthusiastic and passionate head gardeners, winter is a busy season in our calendar. So let us help you keep one step ahead in this most marvellous and rewarding of careers. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye!